This week on the podcast, a little nonprofit news, nonprofitnewsfeed.com. And we have none other than Nick Azalea here. Hey, Nick. Hey, George. How's it going? It's going pretty well. Sounding pretty good. Nick got a new microphone, everybody. I know. I know. We we heard all the listeners, the thousands of listeners demanding Nick get a new microphone and huzzah, new microphone. We've caved in to the, the viral push. Yeah. Well, pressure, enough interest. Anyway, let's get to some nonprofit news for, again, the week of August 30th. Nick, what do we have? Sure. I can start us off, George. Our first story, of course, we have to talk about Hurricane Ida. Um, and this story follows um, the the nonprofits and different organizations on the ground providing relief to people um, in southern Louisiana. So as I'm sure all of our listeners know, a Category 4 Hurricane Ida made landfall in southern Louisiana um, Sunday morning into evening. And the storm rapidly intensified, um, which created problems. People weren't able to evacuate in time um, and was one of the strongest hurricanes to hit. And it actually hit uh, right around the anniversary of Hurricane Katrina, um, which is poetic in some cruel, devastating way. But we're here to highlight some awesome organizations that have been activated to help the people who need it. Um, so after the hurricane made landfall, um, an organization called the Shreveport Volunteer Network, which is a community-based emergency response coalition, has partnered with other local organizations like the United Cajun Navy to provide provide emergency response um, to folks who need it in the wake of the hurricane. Now, I don't know if our listeners know about the United Cajun Navy, but they're basically a volunteer renegade search and rescue operation down in southern Louisiana. They're pretty cool. Um, So uh, kudos to them. Wish them luck in their search and rescue efforts and hopefully all the folks who need the help. get the help that they need. Um, yeah, George, before we were hopping on this podcast, we were talking about where we were during Hurricane Katrina. And it's uh, it's sad to think, you know, all, all these years later, you know, we're, we're back here. Um, so hopefully that uh, the response to this hurricane is much better than it was to Katrina, um, uh, both from the government um, nonprofits, of course, play a critical role in providing response. Um, but we just hope that folks who need help get it. Yeah, the images are still coming in. They're still saying there's, you know, uh, up to millions without power. Um, we're going to be seeing disruptions, certainly to schools, to hospitals, um, and infrastructure, even though these levees were updated and technically there, you know, these quotes are just like, it's never been as bad. Um, they just have the strength of this uh, hurricane storm surge and what it's done for, for flooding, um, this just feels, you know, you know, 16 years later, kind of where you were and there just is, uh, an inevitability, it seems to the net effects of climate change. Certain areas that are underwater quite literally, um, will only seemingly get worse as climate change intensifies. And you, as mentioned before, hope that the response will be smarter faster, more effective, reduce the loss of life. And that's, I think, the, the phase you're in in this, in this point. And a lot of nonprofits stepping up with, with fundraising. But again, we go through the cycle of rescue and then rebuild. The rebuild 
much longer, much harder, and much more in terms of uh, capital intensive while not as high on, on people's sort of willingness to give. Um, you know, it's kind of wild to be sitting here with, you know, 16 years later, almost to the day, I think it was a day where um, you had Hurricane uh, Katrina and the same thing with Haiti, where, you know, not on, not an anniversary, but, you know, we're, we're saying like a decade later, um, what's happening and we're seeing these um, uh, events happen and cycles of nonprofits and how they help. And I'll be interested to see if there's you know, residual donor fatigue, or if it's still new to, to many and, and hopefully many hands ready to help. And it's time to feed the whales with a quick ad about Whole Whale University. This is our best online content packaged in courses. We're talking SEO content marketing, Google ad grants, cybersecurity, and tons of webinars and other templates for you to use. You can buy them individually or as an annual subscription. Uh, We really put our best work in here. And if you're interested in the topics in this podcast that we tend to cover, we go a mile deep with these courses. That's wholewhale.com slash university. Yeah, I absolutely agree, George. Uh, Wishing all of our friends and all the folks in southern Louisiana well. Our next story is we want to do a follow-up. And I know we've talked about this thread a couple of times on the show, but we talked about a GoFundMe in last week's episode um, that wanted to help evacuate folks from Afghanistan, Afghans and Americans uh, fleeing the Taliban takeover of the country. And as it turns out, that GoFundMe campaign, um, which raised, I think, a little over $7 million, um, successfully evacuated approximately 300, uh, 350, depending on how you count it, people from Kabul, according to reporting by the Seattle Times. And two organizations that helped with logistics include the group uh, Sayara International, which is a global development firm, and the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, And the folks who fled on this mission were brought specifically to Uganda. They'll be staying in Kampala for a while. And the security situation in Kabul, um, unfortunately, tragically, continued to deteriorate with those ISIS attacks last week. But it seems that this grassroots renegade mission uh, to get people out uh, actually came together. Um, but I will highlight that it came together with support from well-established uh, groups with experience managing uh, logistics, um, including a security firm that helped with on-ground logistics and then organizations like the Rockefeller Foundation. Um, so some heavy hitters in philanthropy coming together to make this happen. And just to note, the you know, when asked about sort of Operation Flyaway, which I think they called it, um, department, the State Department said that um, it couldn't confirm, you know, uh, couldn't, we were unable to verify the authenticity and effectiveness of these efforts. And, you know, I, I see one version of this article at 51 people from Afghanistan to Uganda, um, and then maybe as high as 300, but I saw 51. But anyway, like even at that, 300 level, you're talking about $20,000 per per person to get on a flight. You know, I don't know what you do with that unit economics. And if it's, if it's 50, it's significantly more where you're paying hundreds of thousands of dollars to, to move one person as opposed to uh, support the relocation. And uh, again, I, I still stand by the comments I had last week where I, I question the sort of efficiency of saying we're going to give in this way to, um, 
to folks that don't have a history of doing this type of work, um, and they're still in questionable safety because they didn't work with necessarily the the State Department and the Pentagon working on routing and placing uh, Afghans safely uh, in, in new countries and sort of, you know, adding to any other confusion. I, uh, I, I don't love it. Uh, I, I love the spirit behind it. I love this like willingness to want to, to support, but I would have uh, applauded a lot harder and possibly even donated. I know we made some donations to some uh, nonprofits working with Afghan women's rights with what needs to also be rebuilt in the the decades long work that'll involve resettlement. I would love to see the money go there and let the, uh, let the military work in the way that they have been in terms of the largest mass evacuation, airlift evacuation of a civilian population in human history. Like I, I, I don't love throwing uh, random private and nonprofit efforts into something of that scale and scope. Um, it's just not the way I view the role of, of nonprofits versus government, I guess. Yeah, George, I, I think I agree with your, uh, your assessment. You don't have there. to. You don't have. I'm sure there are people no, being like, I, hey, those are 300 or maybe 51 people who may not have been saved. I don't know. Um, but if I'm, if I'm thinking with my long-term lens of how I want disasters responded to, and a certainly diplomatic uh, and, and wartime efforts, I don't think I want civilian and nonprofit populations bouncing around with the Pentagon out there. Yeah, I think, I, I think you know, getting three hundred and fifty people out, three hundred people out, unequivocally good. But yes. at the same time, nonprofits are much, much better equipped to do things like help the um, Afghan refugee community that's coming to the United States. I'm I'm based in New Jersey, New York right now. Um, tons of Afghans are being brought into a, a joint air base in New Jersey. They're going to be in New Jersey. That's where nonprofits, um, I think that that money can be uh, much more effective. Um, but yeah, a really interesting thread to follow. And it, we're actually going to go into our, our next article, which follows a similar thread and with a little bit of a different angle. And the angle here is also about GoFundMe, but it's about organizers, Afghan organizers based in the US who created fundraisers um, to help LGBTQ plus folks in Afghanistan get the support they need. Obviously, the Taliban is a hostile force, um, particularly to marginalized folks, including women, the LGBTQIA plus community. Um, this GoFundMe was set up to, to help these folks, but the platform is actually denying the release of these funds to Afghan-based individuals um, because the country is now controlled by the Taliban. And this seems like a, a, a really kind of complicated story. I'm curious as to your take, but um, George, my initial thought while reading this article was the U.S. has very, very strong um, like anti-terrorism money laundering laws, which sometimes messes with NGOs, right? NGOs can't work with certain um, institutions because they're deemed as terrorists. And, and this seems to be kind of a similar principle applied on a more micro level, but I'm curious of, of what you make of this one. It seems really complicated. How can you, you know, you want to help these folks, but at the same time, the money is going to uh, a country that is run by a terrorist organization. Yeah. And the truth of the matter is they'll in short order control the financial systems. 
And so what does that look like? If you're sending over checks to individuals into bank accounts that are controlled and can be immediately seized, are you simply sending money into uh, a regime that may oppress women at, uh, you know, astounding levels? And is that supporting something that you want? And the truth is, uh, I think GoFundMe is in the right here. It's frustrating to see that type of friction being like, why can't we just get the money of the people? Because uh, they're in an unstable period of transition. And it's not clear that that money would actually serve it. And in fact, could work directly in opposition of what you're trying to achieve. Uh, There's not an easy answer here, um, but I think their discretion here is, uh, is warranted is warranted because there's certainly, uh, you know, pretty easy for um, for a government to seize uh, seize bank accounts. Um, done, right? No, no financial access and be like, hey, thanks for that check. Um, okay. And what's more, you could even put them at risk. What does that mean? That means if suddenly the Taliban gets a delightful little list of folks that just got thousand dollar checks for being LGBTQ activists, I don't think that shows up very well on on the old menu. There's a lot to consider here. And so um, I, I was, you know, I'm sure they'll take heat for it because they're like, oh, we gave that money. We have to get them to the people. And you're like, again, there's a reason why you may want to use this. Sta- I'm going to I'll say it as many times as I feel like it needs to be said, but established nonprofits with community relations, with ways of working in the system, because a lot of stuff is going to have to go underground in terms of women's rights, activism and, and the work there. And these traditional methods of like, I just want to get $1 directly in the hands of this person, like just doesn't work. And so that find and give to organizations that are, are ready to move into this next phase. It's not as simple as send a, simply sending a check because of those and many more considerations, the unintended consequences of good intentions. Absolutely. It's a complex landscape. And it's only going to get more complex as the Taliban consolidates control over every aspect of of life in Afghanistan. But something we'll we'll keep in mind, and of of course, wish the folks in Afghanistan, Afghans both there and Afghan refugees here well during this trying time. Our next story, we'll switch back to the hurricane um, angle and the disaster response angle uh, keeping it light here at the podcast. Um, but we, <laughs> uh, right back oh to dear. another, yeah, we're gonna, we're gonna need that, uh, feel good story pickup at the end, but we did want to highlight that, um, you know, with these, uh, surge and in interest, particularly in humanitarian disasters, um, natural disasters, of course, surge of interest in donating and providing and helping these people. Um, But we wanted to highlight an article that we thought was really good um, from the Pensacola News Journal that highlighted um, ways to kind of vet organizations before you send money because, um, unfortunately, there have been a ton of scams when this heightened attention happens and people are willing to open their wallets, right? So this article gives out some good advice that um, maybe organizations should kind of heed, um, you know, maybe help educate their their followers or or whatever kind of call to action they're putting out there. But this article recommends that if you're worried about the validity of a charity or organization, or if you want to find out whether it's legit or not, um, simply just type in uh, 
Google the name of the charity organization and scam or fraud. See if there's any relevant news articles. You can also check out um, the BBB, the Better Business Bureau, um, and then some of the uh, charity organ charity rating organizations are out there. And we had a, a, a conversation about this last week. But for folks who are donating, and um, while these you know organizations don't rate effectiveness per se, um, they will be pretty good at filtering out. Uh, fraudulent organizations. Um, so just something to keep in mind. Uh, and I think that, you know, how do nonprofits seize this? How, how do, George, how do nonprofits kind of prove to, to potential donors that they're legit? Is it getting that charity navigator seal of approval? Is it the financial transparency? You know, what can they do to really, uh, you know, kind of prove their legitimacy? That's exactly why we highlighted this article. Like some of you listening are donors, many of you are working at nonprofits. And so how do you basically broadcast that you are not a scam, right? You're not a scam going out there and asking for, you know, money to do a thing that you may or may not do. And you can see that, you know, um, you know, we could have picked this story up from anywhere, but we got it from the, uh, the eminent Pensacola News Journal, right? But this is what people are reading and where are they sending them? How does your nonprofit show up on the Better Business Bureau's Wise Giving Alliance, Charity Navigator, Guide Star, Charity Watch, uh, you know, check a charity tool as an activity, especially if you're fundraising right now, do a quick search, go through this article. I mean, go and validate how your nonprofit looks on these things. And you may realize you forgot to submit a 990. You're just not in good standing simply because you didn't push some paper the right way. Like, okay, that has nothing to do with what you're doing on the ground now. The other side of the storytelling that goes on longer than we have time for, but at least make sure that the way your organization looks to others on these platforms is how it should be. Absolutely. That is great advice. Um, we actually have an article on communicating uh, nonprofit uh, financial and um you know, organizational transparency um, that folks should definitely check out. But some great tips, George. Uh, and then the last article we want to highlight, and this is a thread we've talked about um, earlier in the pod as well, but just that one of, as George mentioned, the largest air, civilian air evacuation in human history just took place. These people are being dispersed all over the world. NATO allies, you hear Herbie mention, Uganda, all over the place. Uh, folks are coming here to the U.S. And this is an area that traditionally nonprofits have done a tremendous amount of work, if not the bulk of the work, in refugee resettlement. Um, so we have an article about a local Tulsa nonprofit preparing to welcome Afghan refugees to Oklahoma. Um, uh, lots of refugee resettlement organizations happen to be affiliated with local religious organizations. Um, this one highlights uh, Catholic charities. But um, yeah, this is going to be a, a huge kind of all hands on deck effort um, to help these Afghan refugees. And I think we're going to start hearing more about these efforts as these folks, um, a lot of whom are kind of stuck in uh like military installations, not in Afghanistan, but in other places of the world, eventually they're going to be resettled and they're going to need help. These people left the country with one bag at most. Um, yeah. and they're going to need to rebuild their lives. And I think that we have 
<laughs> an imperative to help them. Um, and I think that nonprofits are going to be, without a doubt, the the key um, to getting these people on their feet and starting a new life. So um, something to, to to look forward to. I think this could be a moment for that nonprofit community to step up in really, really impactful, meaningful way and, and send a, a global message even. Yeah. Quick resource, just a shout out that we put together after a lot of research and work, five years of nonprofit fundraising stats from 2015 to 2020, and we identified six interesting trends there. So that is a little gem if you are signed up for our newsletter that you can go find. All right, Nick, what do we have on the feel good? George, this is a story that I think was made for you specifically. Um, we have a story about a song that plants trees. The idea here is that for every 100 streams of this song, um, they call it the first MP tree. Um, for every 100 streams, a tree will be planted um, in association with the Eden Reforestation Project. Um, so if you want to listen to the song that plants trees, please do plant the tree. And I don't know, it's a little gimmicky, but I like it. I'll listen. I'll plant a tree. Um it makes me think of the the charity water program or the the feed the world program with the interactive you know rice bowl or you know, those kind of tactics. But I think um, it has intrinsic value, you know, and kind of a, a cool story. I like the idea. Yep, I think the idea here is also it, who says you can't not just plant a tree, but support a you know stakeholder, support something that you're working on, and this could be something that they're. You know, inherently made viral because they, in the song, talk about sharing the song and just adding it to playlists. So I think there's a lot lot to play with here, um, but also just fun. Nick, thank you so much. As always, nonprofitnewsfeed.com is where you can find this free summary rundown links and everything you need for the nonprofit news that we find interesting for you to consume. Thanks, Nick. Thanks, George. This has been Using the Whole Whale podcast. If you want to keep learning more about these topics and others, head on over to wholewhale.com university to keep learning with us. Thanks as always to gregthomasmusic.org for his tunes that underwrite our tracks. They're fantastic. Hope you're doing well, Greg. And just a reminder, subscribes really help us on any platform that you listen to us on. Please give a thought to click and subscribe and maybe even a comment because we like hearing from you. 